Hi, my name is Gil. This is my golden hour. Gil from the lily pad. Hi, this is Gil. That was my golden hour. That was like perfectly executed. Nobody ever gets that right. Okay, so Jack, we're good over there. <laughs> okay, so th this is not our traditional. Hey, if I if I swing along this side of the table, will I still be in the frame? Okay, we're so this is not our traditional space, as most people can tell. We are currently at the Lily Pad in Inman Square with the owner Gill, and right before we started live. He said, thanks for coming, calling. <laughs> it's like, damn. <laughs> I was like, damn. Man, my I got to up my sales pitch. Yeah, so I, I so I came in here. I don't know. Was that like two weeks ago? Sorry if you thought I was totally pestering you too, man. No, no, it's cool. I mean, uh, this is going to be an issue. <laughs> it's going to fall down all the time. Good thing you're an audio expert. You got any, like, torque arms. What is going on? Oh. There we go. Perfect. Whoa. Yeah. No, people walk in randomly a lot. B because uh, of the aesthetic of the place or just because they know about it? Um, I think it's because they know about it or because they had know nothing about it and they're like, what is going on here? Like, what the hell is all this trippy yeah. stuff in the walls? Yeah. And, you know, I'll be in here. I teach piano lessons during the day and people come in and they're like, is this a concert? <laughs> It's like a, oh, it's a know, little girl or something. Yeah, it's like a nine-year-old girl is playing. You <laughs> it's know? a concert. I was like, no, this is not a. This is a private lesson. Um, but people are interested in the space. It, it, it's always been like this, like with, with all the murals. Well, this is the second mural, and and it, they take a long time to happen. I'm sure. And uh, it's the murals out of my control. I don't, I don't request, or participate in the. So, so what you like hit up the artist? You're like, hey, no, I, I the artist does it if he wants to do it and doesn't do it if he doesn't want to do it same artist for every single mural mm -hmm. so, so far. you won't be able to see on camera but there's these like elaborate extensive i don't even is it is it alice in wonderland no i don't think it's anything specific um i mean the there's part part of it is specific it's a reference to spanish painter goya that's like a take on one of his paintings and then the, on the other side it's all characters from other paintings but then on this big wall, that's just him letting loose like all night long for months. This, this guy had a couple of bouts with acid. I don't think so. He's just an artist, you know. He just this is know. like most extensive. There's stuff in the hallway, mm -hmm. like up on the third floor. So, how did you meet this guy? Through Jesse Gallagher, who does all the booking for the Lily. Pack. Shout out to Jesse. Shout out to Jesse. Jesse's responsible for booking all of the shows that come in here, except for the ones that are here. On a monthly basis or a weekly basis. And oh, are, oh, there are regular shows here. 
Yeah, mo- there's the Fringe, uh, Jerry Braganzi, which are two giants in the jazz world, saxophone players, um, and amazing, amazing um, jewels of this city that are it's just incredible that we have them here, and they're here every week. Um, and then there's all kinds of monthly things. Lyle Brewer plays one one Wednesday a month on mm-hmm. the third Wednesday. Phenomenal guitar player. And these are all sort of jazz guys that are, and I guess I come from a little bit of that background. That's, that's, yeah, that's what you're saying. So you you initially, you're from Brooklyn? Was no, it? I'm from, I'm from the, well, I was born in the Bronx. The Bronx. And I grew up, like schooling age in Scarsdale, New York, which is like a fancy suburb of New York. Well, me and Jack from the suburbs too. Yeah. That's why I'm here. I never, never will move back to a suburb. Never. Yeah, well, Cambridge is chaotic. Man. I like it here. You do? Yeah, it's my favorite place. Um, I think, I think. Um, so my dad lives in the the Mount Auburn side of Cambridge. Are you familiar? Like Fresh Pond area. Yeah, my wife yeah. works over there. Yeah, so it's just like that's suburb suburbia though. Not really where his house is. He like lives right above like a housing project. Oh like. yeah, okay, I know what you're talking about. But he, um, it's just when you come to this side of Cambridge, it's such an eclectically different, like, not only demographic but the density and like it's just like Cambridge is just the most diverse, diverse city. It's insane because then you can it's go great. to like Harvard Square. You have like all these students, or you could go to um, Jack. What's that bridge you always do drugs under? <laughs> but 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 like it's it's crazy i mean i haven't spent a whole lot of time in here how long have you been in in the space in the space for since 2002 so 16 years Woo! and and has it always had the the sort of prestige oh, it does now? almost 17 years well yeah. yeah it's 2019 man holy shit your first episode of 2019 so no i guess 16 and a half years. september i think we moved i moved here june 2002 moved the piano in i moved the piano in before you can't see it on camera but there's a big grand piano and this place was sort of uh a plan since maybe 1998 or so you always wanted to run a venue what's it that i wanted to run a venue i wanted to do music all the time Mm -hmm. and not have to play gigs that i don't want to play Uh, so you want you want to make music your full-time job yeah, I just want to live around music. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like that's, um, I think the most important thing to me in music is sincerity. And in general in life, it's sincerity because I don't think anyone really knows if they're right or wrong. I mean, people think they're right or wrong. Well, no one thinks they're wrong most of the time, but people, uh, almost everyone thinks they're right. The but you never know. For sure, yeah. But you can always tell if music is uh, moves you. And that that's sort of a truth that I don't think you can get in things that are more explicit. So I kind of figured that was a good way to spend my life. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to like do a ton of touring or play on a cruise ship or do the kinds of stuff that, you know, that I, I just saw early on that the gigs were dwindling. Um, what, what were you doing? Like weddings and like bars? Yeah, I, d- I did some. Yeah. And I like played in, I like when I first moved to town and somehow I got super lucky and I, uh, got introduced to this woman who just opened a restaurant and then I just played there every night in Cambridge. No, in Boston, downtown in Boston. Boston. Okay. Like, um, it was right next to the old opera house. Okay. Now that's now that's this restaurant called Zua. It didn't last that long. Um, and it was a friend of mine from Colorado, this guy, Bob Engelman, who, um, introduced me to this woman and she just hired me on the spot. So how, how old are you when you get here initially? 
25. Okay. This is 1993. I was like a ski bum for a couple of years after college. Moved out to Colorado. Yeah, I went out to Colorado, Breckenridge. Yeah, that's what I think. That's what Jack and I were just talking about. We we've had a a couple trips to Copper. Yeah, so it's Summit, fun. Summit Valley is that what it is? Summit Summit County. Summit County. So yeah, so skiing was always like a big part of my life, and and uh, so I just went out there because I didn't want to go to graduate school and I didn't want to get a job, so I went out there and I ended up getting a job out there, and I uh, didn't play music for about a year, and then started uh, started playing at this like blues jam and. It's like, God, I really like playing music. So, uh, uh, yeah. So I came here to go to Berkeley, and I didn't really enjoy being in a classroom again because I was a little bit feel, older. Feel you there, man. So I didn't stay there, and I got a teacher. This guy named Charlie Benakis, who's um, he's no longer with us, but was a huge, huge inspiration. Probably the most uh, influential uh, person in my adult life while he was alive, and and still, even though he's not here. In terms of what, like reintroducing you to like your passion in music type thing, or um, I think it's more than that. Like he was a um, a model of how to like I could pattern after him. Like I basically he had it down. He didn't gig. He just taught. He was the most brilliant person I'd ever been around, and I've been around many, many really amazing people like mm-hmm. throughout school and. Uh, here every you know just there's just amazing people all over the place but he's just like just sat above everybody and his ability to essentially be very consistent he was always in a good mood he was always uh, really uh, up I mean I don't mean just in his mood but like his his pace of thinking and his interests like if you brought him a book and we're like Charlie I thought this book was really good Um, I'd love to get your take on it he would take it and like write a little slip of paper with your name on it and read it and give it back to you. Like, and he would do that for every one of his students. Or if you what brought was, a record. What was his name one more time? Charlie Bonacus. Bonacus. He would do stupid things like um, you walk into a studio and there'd be like a piece of, like a, like a post-it note just stuck on the rug. You know, mm-hmm. just like a blue post-it note. And then you'd step oh, on it and you'd go down to pick it up and be like, hey, Charlie, this is on the floor. He's like, oh, no, no, leave that there. That's for me to... Remember to tell you that vacation is blah, 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 blah. And then he goes to his little notebook <laughs> and checks it off. You know, it's things like that. Like, just silly little things or, or like... Um, and this is a guy you met at Berkeley? <clears throat> no, I heard about him at Berkeley. Like, when I first got here, I w- went to, like, at, to hear everybody play. Mm-hmm. And after, if there was somebody I really enjoyed uh, their playing, I would go ask him who their teacher was. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter the instrument. And his name kept coming up. And then I met this guy, Carlos Campos, who's teaching um, an arranging class at Berkeley. And he also taught the Afro-Cuban uh, piano class. So I took his those two classes with him, and I asked him to be my private teacher. Um, and, and so I, I studied with him, and he, had, he knew about Charlie also. And he's like, you should immediately put your name on the waiting list. So I called the number, and I left a message, and uh, eventually called me back. And it was about a two-and-a-half-year waiting list. And I remember, like, when he called me. He's like, oh, so this guy was that guy. Like, he was... <clears throat> yeah, he teaches all over the world. He'll only take, or would only take a certain number of students from each city. Okay. So he wouldn't compete with the local teachers. And he'd do things like, I guess, the thing that, you know, wasn't only the... It's, you know, obviously the information that he had uh, to share was just amazing. But it was who he was as a person that really made a, such a huge difference for me. And I guess why I bring him up is because... 
um, I talked to him about like wanting to open a venue um, and how I wanted to do it. Like I wanted to live there. I thought the only way to really be able to pull it off long term is to you got to buy a building. You can't be renting because land, you know, if, you, if you're renting and you're successful, then they're going to raise the rent on you and really squeeze you. That's always how it goes. So you own the entire space? Yeah, I own this building. Okay. I mean, I own, the bank owns it. Yeah. Um, and I've what had, does that mean? You have a mortgage on it? Yeah, I have a mortgage okay. on it. And I've had an unbelievable amount of help from former students, parents, from other musicians, from my family. Um, this would never have flown without a support network of people willing to put in money or um, co-sign loans or whatever it was. I wouldn't have been able you to You were just it. like shoestringing it for a while? Oh, yeah. And then we got shut down. I mean, I know I'm jumping all over the place, but like, um, well, let me back up. So with Charlie, mm-hmm. like I, I ta- told him about the idea. I was like, I'm going to make it because he, he refused to perform because he he said people behave badly, you know, just mm-hmm. in general in public. So he's like, I don't want to do that anymore. Like so he just stopped when he was in his late teens, I think maybe early 20s. Never recorded anything. There's no documentation of his compositions and this guy's genius like Who's full-on this, genius this is some like urban legend this guy huh? no it, you look him up i mean he is like he's influenced so many people uh that the, at the upper echelons i mean it, it's just interesting because so mind you i am not musical i don't have any sort of like real instrument instrument background like we most of our backgrounds actually in film but it's interesting hearing it from you because this show more or less is is a document for a lot of the kids coming up, but I don't get to hear about a lot of the stuff that was happening when I was just growing up in the city. So was this guy like, like a staple in Boston music at the time? Oh yeah. Yeah. But he wasn't here anymore. He was in Peabody and then like, no, he's in Beverly at first and then Peabody and then, uh, Essex. He had a studio in Essex and then he went back to Beverly to the exact same room that he was in when the first beginning and things like he would set up the room exactly the same same posters in the same spot you know and the windows were always shut like in the shade you never knew what time it was you know like he's just in this room for like so many hours a day but he was teaching uh like how, how, how do you it? market your business doing he doesn't like have that. to he didn't have to do anything he just and and like his no so getting back to like how like the type of person like he could have charged there's students of his that were charging double what he was charging so he could have charged whatever and he figured out what he needed to charge to live the lifestyle that he wanted to live and he just charged that you know things like that like i i, I said i want to make a venue that is going to be so uh upright I get her like so uh I don't know good that you would want to come play here and he's like stranger things have happened in terms of the way you're running it or the aesthetic just just how people behave that when you sit when people play that that the audience is listening Mm -hmm. you know that it's a listening room it's not a social it's not just about the social side of things it's more definitely definitely it's social in here though for sure oh yeah but that's I mean it depends on the event right like if you're doing and and I was only really interested in instrumental music. I was not interested in like the, everything. So yeah, get, so Charlie, you, you didn't have to audition for him. Like anyone could study with him. You just had to wait on the list. Okay. So that idea is sort of the same as like I, I took that idea and I was like, I want that also with the venue. Like I don't no exclusivity. Exactly. Like if you just 
follow the rules, which are very simple. It's like just be do it. Whatever you do in here, it, it's got to be legal first. Don't destroy <laughs> it. Don't fuck it up. Right, and that you that you are sincere, that you care. You know that it's like you're doing something because it's meaningful to you, not just not just because you're showing off. I don't know. I don't know yeah. what the other reasons why people would do it, but and so that's why we do it the way we do it. You know, we don't curate in a hard way what happens in here. We just let things let happen, it happen. In here. I know that's something I, I totally picked up from you, based on all the conversations. Because like, so mind you, Gil lives. You see, you probably see all these drums. He lives directly above this yeah actually this above us right now is a roof but in the main room which is pretty small right it's a, mm -hmm. i don't know thousand square feet or something under that that is the floor of my that, that the ceiling is the floor of my apartment okay and then we have two floors um now we used to have jesse used to live on the third floor for like a decade he lived up there that's the guy who books the, the right. space yeah damn what a little like little Tight yeah, so we were family. like a tight family, exactly. And then there were other people that were involved in the earth, like at the very beginning that also lived here before mm -hmm. I got married and all that stuff. So now it's a little bit more. This probably got crazy at some points, right? I'm sure. It you're, did. You're yeah, like living absolutely. with all your friends running. And before video. it was Lilypad, it was Zeitgeist. And we had. It was called like what? Zeitgeist. It's like, uh, is that ghost related? Uh, it means like ghost of the, it's spirit of the times is what it translates to. It's a German word and it means like what's happening right now, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, and that was a nonprofit art space that existed before me. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I wasn't involved with them, but then they um, were looking for a space because they lost their space. And I was looking for a space because I lost my space. I had a space in Charlestown, in the Charlestown Commerce Center, if you ever Jack, go down to... Jack, Jack was born, spent his formative years in Charlestown. Are you really? familiar with Jack? It's like right by the high school. Charleston Commerce Center. You know where the like cement factory is, and right next to that, there's these, um, there's twin buildings that were in total disrepair. Now they're condos, and then like, they're these two industrial. There's marine industrial buildings. They're a little bit offset, exactly the same. I think they're like seven floors. That's where I lived. There was Tremont Brewery was on the first floor. Bega Brads was on the same floor as me. I sixth floor. Uh, there was like this three guy's bike been everywhere, man. No, it was cool. There was like, there's all these uh, recording studios, like four recording studios in there. And that's actually how, because I was there, and the story to, f to get to that place is just so full of coincidences. Like, uh, you got time for the story? Go <laughs> so, ahead. Yeah, man. Like, Keep it so, rattling. So I, I moved from, like I, was, like I said, I was in Colorado, right? So, and in Colorado, um, I got this old truck that I loved. It was a 1977 International Scout, which if anyone knows trucks... This guy Gil needs a documentary, man. It's a really cool <laughs> truck. life's a maze. So, so uh, you know, I was working for an engineering company. I, I met a bunch of guys in the construction business who one of the guys was really into restoring cars. I had restored, and when I was in college, I had restored uh, uh, Datsun 240Z, which was like I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it sort of looks like a, an old Jaguar, but it's a Japanese version of that. Really cool car. Where, where did you go to school? Duke University. Oh, Duke. We got a smart one on our hands, guys. So, so I, uh, good basketball team this year. Yeah. Zion Williamson, unbelievable he's guy. A beast. Anyway, anyway, yeah, he's a beast. It's ridiculous. So, so I fixed up this car, and uh, I had had a friend's house like in storage for a couple of years, and then I was like, oh, I'm going to bring it out to Colorado. So. I uh, drive my friend's Jeep cross country and then I drive that thing back. Um, 
and I get it out there. It's awesome, like driving that little car in the mountains and all these mountain roads, and it was fun. Beautiful and then, out there too. And then I wrecked it. I like ran into a pole, and uh, and at the time I was working for this company, and, <laughs> and like these construction guys, they saw the car, they liked the car, and the, and one of the guys who restores cars was like, I told him I wrecked it, and and uh, I ended up trading him that car for like some work on another car. So I. I got this international scout and I got two of them and we built, made one out of it and I painted it yellow, like bright Corvette yellow with a black top top comes off and big tires on it. The whole thing, drive it back here. And when I move here and there's like, no, you never see those cars around here. Never. And I'm driving at Memorial drive and I see another one, same year, much bigger tires top off and it's all primer. I'm like, who is this nut driving this car in this town? I thought I was the craziest person. Mm-hmm. So I caught up to him and I followed him. And oh, you were stalking him. Yeah, I was stalking him. So I followed him and he goes over the BU Bridge. So I follow him over the BU Bridge. And I pull up next to him and he's got a for sale sign on it. And uh, I'm like yelling at him, why are you selling your car? I'll, you know, I'll buy it for parts. And he's like, yeah, I got this great loft. You got to come check out the loft because I'm moving to Puerto Rico. And this is weird, like at the light, you know, over, uh, over uh, the BU Bridge. So I write down my number, crumple it up and throw it into the, to his car because it's open. Don't think I'm going to hear from him. He calls me the next day. I go over there, uh, and it's this loft in Charlestown. And he's got, like, a fireplace. Fire's going. And uh, This is just some guy that, yeah, that just you some randomly liked his car. Yes. And you're exactly. like, hey, man, I'm going to buy your apartment from you. I did. So I, like, took <laughs> over his apartment. And, like, in the building, it was Marine Industrial. You're not supposed to live there. But he had a shower and, like, a little kitchenette. And he had built a loft. And... Uh, I mean, it was just amazing. It was amazing. So I moved there and uh, started having shows. Where where, where were you living before that space? Uh, Where was I living before that space? In in Central Square, on Green Street. Okay. So you've been around. Yeah. Yeah. I lived lived in Dorchester. Well, anyway, so yeah. So I got that place, started this like quasi venue Mm -hmm. while I was living there. Um, So it was always an idea. This was always an idea. And and I, I don't know if you guys, well, it's probably not, but... There was this standalone, now where the Charlestown uh, Marina is, and there's like fancy, nice restaurants and hotel and all that stuff that's down there. There was, it was sort of desolate, mm-hmm. and there was this freestanding building uh, that was like four or five stories high. It was all industrial. It had like those metal I-beams sticking out so mm-hmm. you could crane stuff up. And I was like, that, I want that, I want that. I want to put a venue like in the first floor and live on the top floor and recording studios and like a, a piano shop That's and crazy. get, you know, take, you know, and I called it the music monolith and I like, I want this to happen. I told my parents, they're like, you're nuts. I was like, no, I'm going to raise money and I'm going to buy a building. And they're like, that's not doable. But that's essentially what happened, but not that building. Um, so I was in Charlestown. I got, eventually got kicked out of there, but I had met all these people because all this music was happening in that building. Um, also, the people there introduced me to where I mountain bike all the time, Linwoods, and like this guy, Dave Blakeney, who made all the furniture here, had a metal shop there, and I have a bike that he designed and built the frame in the basement, and he, and like that connected me to this whole group of riders. It's really interesting how like one car ride was like an event that led to all these connections that kind of, I don't know, two out of the th- four pillars of my life. Uh, not like I know what's, what's crazy is what I'm picking up on like where we're sitting right now is is it almost exactly what you wanted like yeah pretty close that's crazy you know a lot of people don't and at least in my experience with just like talking to people so this was like your dream dream was the space correct 
Yeah. So you totally executed on it, man. Good for you. But it, it, but the thing was, it was so, so much luck involved. Well, yeah, it was. It meandered a bunch. I'm you sure, know, right? and yeah, and and but, but it's like the luck. It's it. I have I have this weird relationship with luck. It feels so random. But then the fact that I may be a little bit strange and and like will stalk somebody in a car and find oh, out. I'll do the are. same shit. We're on the same page. You know that led to so much. You know, so like just the law of attraction, man. It's weird, right? You believe in it? I don't know what that means exactly. The law of attraction. It's um, there's a a bunch of different definitions for it. And if my voice sounds hoarse, I'm sorry. To be honest with you, this episode is a total miracle that I pulled off. I was on the phone with Jack yesterday. I couldn't even speak. So yeah. let's go. Okay. I'm so actually good. not even sick, so I'm not infecting you. Don't worry. But um, we, the law of attraction is pretty much like if you put your mind to something obsessively it will end up coming true. So, yeah, I wonder if, yeah, I mean, I sort of think of it differently. I think if you put your mind on something and you You believe it. Yeah. Well, believing is really important, but you first believing it and then uh, like being really open to like any path that, that may or may not get you there. You know, that like, it sounds corny, but to say yes, or to just like, just be open. Because I think that part of it was just noticing that thing. Like, noticing that I wasn't, like, I guess I noticed cars. I've always, I always, like, my son also is, like, crazy obsessed with cars. What was your son's name again? Arthur. 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 And I he think blonde, I... He has blonde hair, right? Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't look at all like me. I, I guess he looks a little bit like me, but he's, like, an Irish version of me. Um, but he, but, like, I just was always into cars, you know? I always had, like, a weird car, always like from the first car that mm-hmm. I've, I've had and and just following that and not not caring that it was stupid that's crazy man isn't it it's just, so you just on that day you just randomly saw the car right and it led to so much like not seems to like say it's that destiny this, man right that's how it always felt and now that i'm 50 i don't really think like that so much anymore i think i i really subscribe i subscribe to some magical thinking that it was a little bit silly, but at the same time, it all worked out. No, but I, I'm on the same page as you. I think there are things, and mind you, I'm just turned 23, but there are things that I think have happened to me that it's like, okay, that's not how I planned it, but the outcome was exactly what I was expecting. It's the same thing, kind of? Yeah. That's crazy, man. So you, you're you out, you get the, the crib in Charlestown. Then they kick me out. Why? Noise. New management. The old management was was uh, mob run, and they didn't care what happened. And the guy that was running this, it this was, was like an awesome dude, and then he went to jail. Late nineties. Yeah, he went to jail, which sucked for uh, for me and for like everyone who was living or not living, but like using that building. Because then they brought in somebody who was much more hard ass about. So like, you the knew rules. it was it was mob affiliated the entire time. Uh, not the entire time, but once I was there for a little while. You're like, there's some shady shit going on here. I didn't see anything. It's just that I We're heard. not getting you incriminated, don't no, worry. No, no, I didn't see anything. But you can imagine this building is like essentially like so isolated. It's right by the high school. But The way I'm picturing it, it's just like a warehouse. It's t- there's two warehouses that are exactly the same, and they're on the Mystic River, and the pier's all burnt out. There was a fire there. And it's a 24-hour marine industrial, mob, which yeah. means that they can do business 24 hours. Now that... It's, and it's totally like industrial wasteland, right? That That now there's a... Massport 
brings all the cars. I'm, yeah, yeah I'm it used sure to be a, some business a container lot. At this point, yeah. So there was just, you know, all. <laughs> you know, if, you ever, if you watched, was it uh, the Sopranos when they had all that stuff in the container yard, or was that was that no, that was Wired, right? The Wire, that was, yeah. The Wire, sorry, not Wired. <laughs> the Wire, <laughs> the Wire. Yeah, but it, it's like you imagine that's basically what was going on. That's in the container. There's like containers right there. It's all. It's all industrial. It's, you can do whatever you want, any time, day or night. So it's, it was perfect. Yeah. But it's, it, at the same time, it was like it was great for musicians. You know, like, I'm sure also someone trying to loosely start a business, it was good for you. I'm sure the regulations were a little bit loose. Yeah, nobody cared what I was doing no, until fucked. we started. Until the because the internet was still small at that point, and then we I had a, a website and I posted the shows, and that's actually what got me kicked out. Because you started so then I moved marketing. to Dorchester. Yeah. I was living in Fields Corner. Had that I bought that piano because uh, I was like my first dream. The first like real um, dream was to get a good piano because mm-hmm. I grew up with like a Baldwin upright, which is not a bad piano. I didn't like it. <laughs> uh, I like it now when I play it. But this but, is a Kawhi piano. I'm but it's like a big grand piano, and I like played hundreds of pianos to try to find this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I the, just, the, that's the instrument you play only is piano or do you do guitar? Uh, I mean, I play, I can play bass. I can I'm, play I'm sure upright. I can play kind of whatever, but mm-hmm. like, I'm really not. Piano is your strong suit. Yeah. <laughs> piano is my main instrument. And then I can figure out how to play whatever if I need to. Um, but yes, yeah, so I got the piano. It was my whole apartment, took up my whole bed bedroom and it was great. And then I was looking for a building like checking out all these buildings by like railroad tracks places where nobody would get upset about the noise um to no avail and then uh the girl so listen kids there was a lot of trial and error when it came to where you are now like yeah you you took a bunch of l's you were bouncing around but yep at a certain point you just kind of you landed yeah and even when i landed it wasn't done because we were renting here i didn't even know there was an apartment upstairs yet uh, I just like was like, okay, let's put the piano here and let's try making a venue and we were renting it from the Druid. The Druid owned it. The previous owners to the Druid owned this space too. I'm, I'm unfamiliar with what the Druid is. So it's the bar next door. Oh, okay, great. It's a great Irish bar. Mm-hmm. So you, you get along with them, you see in terms oh, of... Oh, yeah. Awesome neighbors. I mean, that's the why I say I love this place so much. It's like all the neighbors here are great. We yeah, all help each other out. Uh, so this space is just totally like... In my opinion, it's just like this, like neighborhood, like little treasure. You know what I'm saying? What? And I and I'm I'm gonna let you finish your story too. But like, you understand that this space, it's hard for kids to get over to the Middle East if they don't pull a crowd. Like, you. Well, have, it's a huge venue. Exactly. You're about downstairs. Exactly. Right? Well, pretty much any. Like, you have to. There's a pressure to produce at the Middle East, which I love. I love throwing big shows. It's like, right. it's a blast. But for kids who are just starting out, and I, I don't know if you've done this purposely, but I've seen events pop up here with like local and younger artists that would traditionally not have a stage to perform on. So you're the man, bro. <laughs> but that's the, I mean, that is the idea behind the this place. Like Hip hop specifically? Do, no, no, anything. Okay. I mean, literally anything plays. It doesn't have to be music. Mm-hmm. We used to do um, more sort of local film screenings way back. People, can, you know, you can do anything here. And I think we should do more of that. And I wish there were like we used to have local animators come and put on shows. And that's, that's all gone. 
I mean, we just went through everybody and yeah. used up all their stuff. We got stuff. some plans. We'll talk about it after. So, I mean, it'd be great to connect with some uh, whole, like, the younger generation of people making films and making, you know, just short films, basically. Mm-hmm. would be great to have a film night here. What is the capacity of the space? 97. But that's not seated. That's mostly standing. It's only 36 seats and the rest is standing. Have there been times where, like, you've had to be like, okay, this is getting a little too big. Like, I'm going to have to... Well, there's a, there's certain shows, yeah. That I'm sure people don't get in. That does happen occasionally, but it's not the norm. Yeah, I mean, the average attendance for something here is probably 20 people. The, well, the event I was at was there must have been at least 80 people here. Yeah. So you, when you're upstairs, you don't hear this stuff. Oh no, I hear it. You're just kind of immune to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unless something I hear a loud crack. Your son's your son is destined to be a rock star. You should see my daughter. Oh, they can both play? Yeah. It's crazy. She's three and he's two. I mean, she's going to be four soon. And he's two and a half. And you gotta crack, it's crack crazy the whip on both of them. how musical they are. They just crack the whip on both of them. Just yeah. go psychotically hard. That's right. No, that's what I do. I torture them. I say, if you don't make it, you're not my children. Nice. That's what we need out of you. Great. <laughs> yeah, let's get a signature now. No, they. I mean, they're just, that's all they know. Like when they were really little, 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 we didn't have the third floor and we were just on the second floor. So it would be really loud in there. And I remember this is before my son was born. My daughter was still very young and she was, I was changing her diaper and she was not happy. She was crying and it was. Take this flute. Yeah, they were, they were setting up a show down here and it was like a, like a heavy show. It was like a rock show, but he- like heavy, dark music. <laughs> and they and like they were sound checking, and then the bass player and the guitar player both like hit an octave, and everything dropped an octave. It was like, Bruh. and she was just on the on the changing table, and she just stopped crying and just like relaxed and put her head back and her arms back. This is like the most classic Hollywood story. I'm that telling you, crazy. She kids just, are the next American Idols. No, they and and they ask for music all the time, and she has favorite songs, and she has lyrics, and she makes up songs all the time, and he makes up songs all the time, and they're just. It's very natural for them. Yeah, I'm sure. So, I mean, now it's also part of it. Like, um, my, my, both my parents are physicians, right? They're both doctors. So, and they're immigrants. So they had to... From where? From Bulgaria. So they had, to, you know, they grew up um, in a world that was occupied by the Nazis. Uh, it's like a difficult, difficult childhood, scary shit. Uh, Bulgaria was one place where the Nazis did not... Um, exterminate the Jews they mm-hmm. just uh, they restricted their movements and they like there's curfews they had to wear the yellow star all that stuff so, so are, are you Jewish? yeah I was gonna say this isn't even I wanna make sure I'm not I'm not sounding insensitive but the Anne Frank story was similar to didn't her family run a a business on the base level well, and, maybe I don't know. I, I went. I went. I went to Amsterdam once. So I'm just trying to figure it out. Yeah, I went. I went to her house and when I was near him. I don't really remember. That it was much crazy. Have you, you haven't been to Amsterdam just yet? Did you go to Anne Frank house? It's it's such a crazy like they're like tucked away in this tiny little thing. N- nonetheless, that there was some crossover from what I was thinking. I was like, okay, there's a business here, and there's like all these like. Well, I think that was more normal. Is yeah. that like people lived. Above their business. Above their businesses. Now it's now it's not as normal. You're familiar, right? Yeah, no, it's very rare now. You're the man, bro. You're, you're killing it. Well, it's great though. Like I, I don't, I, I walk down like 15 steps and I'm at work. 
you know. I mean, how how great is it? And and like all these restaurants and all these really really well, if you love the, if nice you people. love the work. Yeah, I mean, I love teaching. I know, but some people are like, okay, I want some space from the office type thing. No, I know. I don't even like leaving here. So I th- I think what <laughs> I think yeah I think what's interesting is there are so many, mind you, me and Jack are somewhat for our age like business savvy, so we understand it. But there are Connor, so, right? Connor, yes, that's my name. You can call me Big Bochi or C Diddy if you'd like. <laughs> but we um we understand like there are so many people who really love music they might not be the most talented person of all time but they want to somehow create an occupation out of it is there any wisdom you can give these individuals because it's it's not easy many revenue streams like don't put all your eggs in one basket do lots of different things so that you when one thing goes up you have or if one thing goes down you can rely on another part i don't think you can be too uh if you box yourself in then you can uh you can start getting fearful like if things don't go well and then once you're afraid it's very hard to act with conviction you know you have I to can't agree a, more you yeah have, right i mean you, you got to believe and the only way to believe is to also have some thing that's like you're getting positive feedback from so you have to have some successes even if you're having Right, you're going to be a lot of failures in whatever. If you're doing something that you that's hard and that you care about, you're going to fail a bunch, right? In order to succeed, like failures are successes, right? They are like how it's part of it. Anyone who's very successful, they just are okay with taking sucking. a loss. Yeah, yeah, and you got to be willing to do that. And I think that was hard for me. I think uh, I grew up a little bit um, feeling like everything should always just go right, and I got very lucky, as you can tell, right? Like a lot of things did go right. Yeah, but you say that in hindsight. I'm sure during the time before you created the space, you were like, holy shit, I am way in over my head. Well, when we got shut down, like I was telling you, we were Zeitgeist before, and then the Zeitgeist and I, like the building went into foreclosure. Oh, we geez. had to when, buy the what building. What year was this? This was 2004. And so what, you weren't paying rent? or No, it wasn't us. It was the Druid owners. They were fighting with each other. It's a different ownership now. Mm-hmm. So don't, you know, it's not nothing to do with the guys that are there now. But... But before, they, these guys were fighting between them. They each had their own lawyer. They were partners, but they were no longer friends. And so one of them wasn't paying one mortgage or whatever, and they had two mortgages on the building. So one guy, one mortgage company was foreclosing on them. And so I got a letter in the mail slot, like, uh, stop paying your rent to so-and-so, pay your rent to me. And I was okay. like, what does this mean? And so yeah, I, also I, I had no idea. Affiliated. It wasn't, yeah, but it was, but definitely corrupt lawyers involved yeah. for sure. Uh, and so we ended up buying the building, me and this guy Alan Carrier, who was involved with Joseph from the Middle East. Okay, and they they together are partners in the Armory in Somerville. So he's still involved in like the music scene in one way or another. But I I, I got somebody to buy him out, and then now that guy's. Uh, sort of out of the of of it now it's just me but you've held it down yeah but so so you know when the building went into foreclosure we had to come up with a way to buy the building i got a lot of help from my student parents and i was like zeitgeist you guys if you want to get in on this you can actually buy into the building and they didn't want to do it essentially um i don't know if they didn't trust the situation or they didn't have the resources and i'm not exactly sure but um 
basically they opted to leave. And so that's when it became the lily pad. Because I couldn't. That come was up your with idea. Lily pad. Not the name. The name was not my idea. The name. I I couldn't it's come. One, up. I wanted to call it the nose. The nose. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, no, that's my friends are just like, no, absolutely not. You cannot call it the nose. I was like, but no, the nose is in front. And they're like, no, you can't call it the nose. <laughs> and so they wanted to call I think it, lily pad was a good choice. <laughs> they wanted to call it gilly pad, and I was like, I don't want my name on it. And they're like, well, what about lily pad? I was oh, like, gilly oh, pad, okay. that'd be clever. So gilly pad is actually like the corporate name. There's no corporation. It's just me. But that's the that's the corporate the, name in the books in the books it's gilly pad but uh yeah so we became lily pad and we opened right this exactly the same as zeitgeist everything was the same room was the same the way that we did things was pretty much the same it's just much more music focused less art um and we got shut down like right away booze like, underage booze no no just all kinds of code violations like the building wasn't fireproofed appropriately we didn't have fire rated doors we didn't have a fire rated ceiling the doors opened the wrong way we didn't have exit signs we didn't have it's all stuff i didn't know about like if yeah, you're ever going to open a venue starting. you have to know the law uh, and i did not know the law so listen you know, yeah I, i'd love to you know someday you know maybe you and i can collaborate and we'll put together a little short video of what you need to, if you want to open a venue even if you want to open a temporary venue who you need to talk to, like, make sure you talk to the police, make sure you talk to the licensing commission. You get all your ducks in Keep a row. Keep paying people under the table. No, tell anybody. no, nothing under the table. <laughs> you just do it right. And you, you got to know which questions to ask. You need to know which lawyer to talk to. And this, you can make stuff happen, but you can't do it the wrong way. So I did it the wrong way. And they just immediately came and shut me down. And they were like, you have to do this, 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 and this. And I literally was crying. Like, I went to the election. I was like, ah, you can't do this. This is my life. Like, I put everything into this. I, like, got all these people to give me money to, like, buy this building. And, and I, I'm all in. And, and you're going to shut me down? And I'm, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to pay the mortgage? This Cambridge City Hall. Yeah. And uh, slam the mayor. No, so I just, I put everything on credit cards. I had really good credit at the time. Oh, this guy was winging it, man. And I just like, I had $60,000 worth of credit debt to, to do the room. And we did the room and we got back open. So kids, that's a reference. And this is in early 2000s? Yeah, this is 2005. Okay, so. And don't, it was 60K to start up a room that has a capacity of 100 people. It, it takes effort and it takes money to do something. Oh, like it was this. way more than... See, that was just what I put on credit card. So Yeah, so it's so just it like way more you can't that. just... You got to build yeah. this type of shit. And if you do it, you know, underground, you can do it for a very short amount of time, but you will eventually get caught or something bad will happen and you may go to jail. And and like if somebody gets hurt, like like that guy who did that space out in California that burned and killed all those people, right? Like he was... That artist space, that rave, was it that rave? I don't. I, I should know more, but I don't, he started. He had news. like a con, like a artist community, and they had like shows and stuff there, oh. and all these people lived there, and it was. You I mean, there's talking about Charles Manson. No, no, no. Recently, <laughs> recently, I, I'll look. Well, we can look it up later. But basically, he was trying to do something very um, selfless and kind super hippie like super vegan never hurt anything like saved every animal that he found that was hurt gave a place to people for people to stay made this whole thing grew food on the property did all this stuff there was no and then there was a fire and all these people died and now he's going to go to jail you know so like things can go wrong so quickly that you really if you want to do something and have it last you got to do it right from the ground foundation or 
if you do it wrong and you want to fix it, it's it's very hard. It's doable, but it's hard. You have to suffer a lot and spend a lot of money and energy to fix something once you've already started. If it's if it's not right from the start, if you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I don't yeah, know totally. if I'm making a no, ton of sense, yeah, but just like just sack up and like build the foundation right before you just yeah. go. Yeah, absolutely. And and it wouldn't be that much money if I if I had done it right from the beginning, it would have cost me a lot less. Yeah, so that's my question. So, are you not money motivated, like from the start? Cause no, not- it's never. I don't even do accounting until it's tax time. So I don't even know if we're making money or we're losing money. I, I you just I know, don't. You don't give a fuck. It's not that I don't give a fuck. I have a family. Of course, I give a fuck. It's it's that I'm not motivated by money in the sense that I don't want that to be the reason why I do anything. It's always been like that. Yes, it's always been like that. But that probably comes from my dad. He was a physician. I mean, he must have been a successful guy, right? Yeah, but he grew up in, you know, he, after the war, after, after the Second World War, he bought into communism. I mean, I, think, I mean, he understands now, now that that there, there was a failed experiment. Yeah. But, but the idea that you only need what you need and that just accumulating money or stuff for the sake of it or to appear big or powerful or to show off or any that's a waste of time and what's really important is the people that you're surrounded by you know it's it's your family and your friends and like your community that stuff is way more important than any amount of money and like how you get to live your life every day and if you're doing things to make a lot of money that are not that are dissonant in your being it's just not worth doing because Life is really short, you know? You don't realize, none of us realize it, but it's really short. You got one shot. Feel you. Totally feel you. You just got to do what you believe in. So so were you ever pressured to, like, go work a traditional job or corporate? Of course. Of course. When I went to college, I wanted to switch to a music major. My parents were like, that's fine. You want to do that? Fine. You pay for college. And in my mind, that was like, you can't do it. (laughs) It didn't occur to me that I could be like, okay, and go get a job and go pay for my own schooling or work really hard and try to get a scholarship and do it. It didn't, didn't even occur to so me. So were you like a like, finance major or something? No, I was engineering, mechanical okay. engineering. But I, like, I was, I, I, like, the idea of leaving my friends and stuff at school when you're yeah, 18, yeah. 19, I didn't have that kind of strength at that time to be just like, all right, fine, I'll do it my way. I was like, all right, parents, I'll do engineering. And so I did it. You know, I liked my professors. I, I did okay. In the beginning, I struggled. You know, I didn't know how to study, but uh, after a while. So were there, were there pe- pressure from your friends or? No. Okay. No, but, just but my parents. Societally, it's like, okay, you're going to the sixth school, man. Um, your parents are both successful. You should probably go get a, a traditionally uh, lucrative job. I didn't think about it. Not even? No. I didn't even interview for any jobs. Nor, nor did I. No, like they had all these like job fairs where you go and interview and people make a lot of money. But, but you knew you were school. a smart guy though. Yeah, it's not about intelligence though. You don't think it's, you don't think it's about intelligence to make money? No, no, I'm saying you had the confidence to be like, okay, I'm kind of a smart guy. I'm pretty self-aware. I think I could probably figure this out on my own. I don't I, I'm not going to force myself into a job I know I'm going to hate. No, it wasn't that kind of wisdom. I just 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 wouldn't do it. I don't know why I wouldn't do it. Probably not 
positive reasons. <laughs> I was probably too insecure or I didn't want to compete. I didn't like, I didn't like compete. I used to like ski race and stuff like that, but I don't like the actual, I like the skiing. I like going through gates. I like playing sports, but I don't like stacking up against someone else. Yeah. I don't like the numerical component of it because I don't think that that's like really how we should be motivated. I think we should be motivated to be improving ourselves all the time. And I know it's very idealistic and it's not realistic in, in the society that we live in. But that's the life I want to live. Like, I don't want to live in this life where somebody can measure me by a number. Well, no, what's crazy is I think what you just said to me, it's like the space is a total reflection of what's in your head. Would you yeah, say? It's, it's, da- it's like, I don't know if you saw the poem in the front. Like, it's Lao Tzu. It's Taoism. Like, my dad and Lao Tzu. <laughs> In terms of the wisdom, like the way the, the 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 ethos for my life is based on Taoism, really, mm-hmm. and which is roughly speaking what my dad always said to me when I was growing up. He's like, "Money doesn't matter. Like, I have a job that pays well because I like medicine and I'm a pediatrician and I'm good at what I do." And, and he like it was his passion, medicine, or yeah, and and it was a way to get out. Like when you're uh, an immigrant, that's like a way you can go anywhere in the world and work. Right, so he was stuck in Bulgaria, right? And he had to escape. He couldn't go back to see his dad. His dad died in Bulgaria. He went back at the end of my of his dad's life, but before that, he couldn't go back. So he left his mom and dad there and went to Israel and then didn't see them. And my mom left and took her mom with her. And her mom was her dad was already gone. So she brought her mom with her to Israel. They got married in Israel. They met in Bulgaria. They got married in Israel. Then they came here, and they were planning to go back, and then they just stayed. Is she grateful, man, honestly? <clears throat> yeah. It's like, imagine if we were immigrants. Like, holy shit. I think sometimes, um, well, well, here's another question. So I've thought a lot about, you know, I'll call it loose communist thought, right? Like, okay, everyone could just self-grow and, like, work on themselves. Do you think that would make people... And you're not a lazy guy at all, but do you think that would make people inherently lazy? I think... If there was no competition? What they're... I think... You know, I think I said earlier, like, about, like, the value of community. And what I think that that really is about is that it's context for our lives, right? So what, why do people want to go to a, a quote-unquote good school? And it's not because, it's, it's partially because the teachers are really good, you know? And you, you hope that that's a reason. But a that's, lot of them want to make their parents happy and look No, but good. that's not the real reason. The reason that the parents want them to go there, and, and it's hard to see it, and I, I kind of see it now, is that you want, like for me as a parent, like what I want for my children is to be surrounded by other kids that are, interested, interesting, challenging, you know, that are going to help my kids get more engaged in their lives, not get them engaged in something that is going to be a short, uh, a short path to an unhappiness in the long run. So I think that, that in that sense, like what, what we're doing is, 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 is just like the support network and the context in which we live our lives is really important. So I think I wouldn't do this if I didn't have the parents that I had. 
you know, and I used to be a little bit angry with my parents for not supporting me doing this in the beginning or being a musician, for example. They were like, why don't you just do it as a hobby? And I was like, I don't want to do it as a hobby. I want to spend my life doing it. And from their perspective, as a classical pianist, if you weren't famous or going to be famous by the time you're 13 or 14, why bother? Like, do you have no shot? If you're not a virtuoso in your early teens and probably before that, the same way, like in basketball today, right? You know if a kid's going to be a star. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like Zion, Zion Williamson, right? If you ever look at his high school oh, highlight yeah, clip, it's obscene. And they've, they knew about him when he was in junior high school. Colleges are already checking them out. And it's the same thing for classical music, right? It's like you either gonna, you're either going to make it or you're going to be unhappy, mm-hmm. right? And you're going to know that before you hit puberty almost. And so my parents, that was their view, right? So they were like, why of, would you want to do that? It's just going to be kid. Yeah, I, I, I was resentful that that's how they looked at it. But in the end, I understand that they just wanted me to have the best chance of happiness, you know? And, and they couldn't envision this life for me because that's not something that was in their experience. That this didn't, nothing like this type of life existed for anyone that they knew. So, so were they like hard fasted um, immigrant parents in terms of like making sure you're on your schooling, making sure like you got to be successful because we didn't have the same opportunities you're going to have. No, it was just understood I was going to be, it wasn't like I feel the they same harassed way, me. Yeah, yeah. They never checked my, uh, you know, unless something bad happened, they never checked my report card. It, it was an obligation. They never checked my homework. Yeah, yeah. Never. You know, like they weren't like, did you do your homework today? It was like, it was just understood. But I never brought homework home. I was done with homework. By the time school was over, I didn't bring books home. Like I just did it before I left school. Entrepreneurial, man. It just wasn't hard. Like that stuff wasn't hard for me. Like school was not hard for me. The piano was hard. Like piano, my teacher was tough on me. And I'm still very close with her, my childhood piano teacher. But the, the, the challenge of playing piano at the level that she wanted me to play at was much harder than anything that was going on in school. So I never developed like really good work habits. And that's why I struggled when I got to college my first semester. After that, it was cool. But I never really learned work habits until I decided to really be a musician full time. And then it was like the process of, of learning how to, how to really work hard, like how to really practice with sustained effort and sustained focus. I think I was very easily distracted. And I think that I got, I learned stuff very quickly, but I didn't necessarily get that deep mm-hmm. in my understanding, whatever it was that I was doing. But now it's a whole different story for me. Like I can play, I can practice all day. I mean, I'm, it's late, you know, like if I could do this when I was 12, yeah. it would have been a lot easier for me to like have a career as a pianist. But I don't really care about having a career as a pianist. Like I love doing what I'm doing and, you know, I'm, I keep working my ass off and I will continue to do that until I'm, I can't I possibly, until I can't That's possibly do it. That's my guy. You know, just, just do it. But, but it wasn't motivated by, it's not motivated by accomplishment. It's not motivated by having a career. It's not motivated by like applause. I mean, I play at 11 o'clock on Wednesday nights, basically saying, no, please, nobody come to my concert. You know, that's, that's how I do it so that I can be free to just, um, just try whatever like is interesting to me and not feel any pressure to appease anyone. And that's the same thing with this place. It's, it's, everything is sort of, a, that's, that, that underlies a lot of how I feel about life is I want to do it because 
it's interesting to me and it's fun and it's challenging and it's going to hurt sometimes because I think anything that's of value requires a certain amount of suffering and not, not arbitrarily. It's just, that's part of the process, right? If it's callous, your brain. Yeah. You're going to get beat up. It doesn't matter if it's a sport or if it's a academic pursuit or a business pursuit, people who are really good at business, they, they lose a ton of money before they make a ton or while they're making a lot of, I mean, they're willing to just like risk it. Well, yeah, I think that's another thing a lot of people can take from this is that like, I don't, I don't know when I, excuse me, I don't know when I necessarily developed it, but there's, I don't know why people would not take risks. I don't understand it. It makes no sense to me. It's like, yeah, you took a bunch of risks, right? Without the risks, you would, you wouldn't have developed the venue you wanted. If it's more of a risk, not taking risks. Cause then you're going to live unfulfilled as fuck. Are we right. on the same page? Yes. Like I, I, I just, at the end of school. So mind you, I was already bus. I, for a couple of years now, I've just been busting around doing a bunch of stuff, like pursuits and stuff. All of my friends, I'm not gonna say all of them, but a good portion, they force themselves into these corporate jobs that they, I know they'd be so much better off doing other shit. And I was like, dude, like this life is like, it's like a timer for the most part. What happens when we're like 75, 80 and you look back, it's like shit. Like, I wish I did that. How profound was that? <laughs> um, but I mean, I just think what what you've done here is a, you, you built something sick totally just cause you put your mind behind it. My, for, and I had a, people that were willing to, Support system. Yeah, I, I couldn't have done it by myself. And and then the people who just showed up and, like, stuck around. Like, people who showed up to, like, we're here at an event and we're like, I needed some help for something and I just stayed. Mm-hmm. And, like, continued to help for years and years. You know, that hap- that that's, like, that's the story of this place. People gravitated towards it and the people that cared about it stuck around. So, are you, so you never worry about... Um business success anymore it's just like let's just keep this thing running yeah so you don't worry about like okay i have x amount of events this week x amount of people are going to come in never no i mean i <coughs> my wife works just I an, teach I, piano we we're in a situation where um i mean if we got if we got shut down for a few months that would be very hard mm-hmm. we'd still survive but it would be very hard uh but but as long as we're open and, and um, people come and do their stuff here, we don't have to grow a ton. I, and and that, that also was another thing that was from the beginning. There was the, the people who did and some of the people who invested in this place or helped me out in one way or another were sort of anxious to see a return in a way. They were like, well, so how's it going? Are you making money? And I'm like, you know, I don't really know if I'm making money. And if I am, I'm putting it right back into the place, you know, mm-hmm. so... I'm not in a hurry to see some sort of return. I'm not going to, you know, if I wanted to like make money and just sell the building, I mean, uh, this building is worth like three times what it was when I got Oh, I'm sure. Cause Cambridge is now. It's crazy. crazy. And I get, all, you know, people, I get stuff in the mail all the time, but I, I have no interest. Like the, you, there's no way that I would walk yeah, away from this. So life it? is great here. And what's happening here. So many people are like, ah, oh, this, we had so much fun here. Or like this wouldn't happen if it weren't, for you you know and it's not me it's the place you know it's like we just even the furniture like 
people used to complain a lot about how oh the seats are unpadded, blah blah blah. There's no backs on the chairs. It's just like, well, okay, fine. You're right. You're dogging it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're right. You're right. But all this furniture nests, and it and I can get rid of it all in a flash. And this place can go from like a seated, nice, quiet place to like a party venue in five minutes. And no one's going to hurt themselves moving furniture. So, so speaking of party venue, can't see, Jack, can you just make sure the camera's still running? I'm just an eternal paranoia. I love you, bro. <laughs> You're really you guys guy. are good. It's uh, good to have lifelong friends, huh? Yeah, we'll be buddies forever, even though sometimes we want to gouge each other's eyes out. Um, you can't see, but there is a bar in the corner of the space. Is that newly acquired or people have always been able to drink here? No, people have not always been able to drink here. Uh, so you had, you had to go to City Hall and get the liquor license? Yes, I was opposed to it. I didn't want to do that. Cause then I You're thought, a party pooper, dude. Yeah, well, I mean, I, like I remember I talked about Charlie. One of the things Charlie didn't like was people drinking. And I was like, I want a place where people come only to listen. It's not about getting drunk. But the reality of the financial situation was we had to grow. Otherwise, I would have to do all every job forever. And, and also, I, there's a tie-in between live music and booze. You just Absolutely. You just release your inhibitions a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm sure you, the events became a little bit more lively. When oh, no. It, it's booze. a huge asset. Mm-hmm. Huge asset. I didn't really... I didn't see how much of an upside it would be. And because we only have beer and wine, people aren't doing shots. Unless you're bringing in Henny bottles. Right. No No oh, Henny yeah. bottles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No Give your PSA. Henny Give your PSA. No Henny bottles. It will get us shut down and it would be bad. And then this place won't be here and we'll all be very unhappy. There'll be a dentist office near and I'll be way richer, but everyone else won't get to do their stuff. So if you want to make me rich and get rid of art happening here, then keep breaking the rules because then we'll just stop doing this. Or there'll be absolutely no rap shows, which is that would suck because I tell you, like this neighborhood, that's what if you really want to have like the neighborhood in this room, which is something that's really important then we have to have those shows here. And in order to have those shows here, we can't have people taking advantage of the space, which is taking advantage of me personally because whether it's like the, the stuff, like the bathroom getting tagged, this is just simple things. Like why? Why tag the bathroom? Now, now I got to paint the bathroom. You know, don't go downstairs into the basement and smoke down there. Don't, you know, just go outside. Could, could we see the basement after the, the piece? If you want to, yeah. So listen, yeah. I, I'll speak for him. This guy is n- nothing but a servant to the community. He has provided a space for it doesn't matter if you're like the most poppin' rapper, if your music's even that good, honestly. I don't even think he's really going to curate it. He just wanted to create a space that if as long as you respect it, keep it running. Am I right? That's right. That's Cut right. me a check, dude. <laughs> um, so... Are you aware of this state of Cambridge slash Boston music? Are you with the scene or is it kind of just like, hey? No, I'm not with the scene. I'm not. I don't go to like the Boston Music Awards or like any they, of that. They would stuff. definitely invite you to. If you no, they did. They did. I just don't like to go to those kind of kind of things. So for me, it's like the social part of it is not interesting for me. I wish it was. It's just not. I'm a little bit of an introvert. I don't know if that comes across at all now. I feel like I'm not that introverted when there's. Well, well, also probably happy to tell the story, but yeah, I prefer to just stay here and like and practice and then hang out with my family. Yeah. Um, Well, there's a. 
there's an attitude right now in Boston music where it's like the crabs in a barrel type thing. You know what I'm saying? Are you familiar with the analogy? Crabs in a barrel. So you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket. They're all trying to get out, but when one tries to get out, it climbs over the other one and pulls it down. It's just a cycle. So there's, it's a very divisive community right now. The musicians or the venues? We should talk about both. There is no space for Boston music right now that where the scene can really grow. Because you can go play at the Middle East. Shout out to the Middle East because we'll still definitely always throw shows there. But there's there has to be like an underground wave. You know what I'm saying? In order to like really grow the scene and create opportunities. What for about us. the house concert scene? Is that still ha- is that, does that happen much? Infrequent. So there was a space in Roxbury called the Inner Sanctum. Are you familiar? Mm-hmm. That they were throwing big shows there. It kind of got shut down. I don't want to speak for it. I don't know exactly what happened, but um, I was talking. There was a a publicist team that came on the show, and they said that they think artists need their own space for the space to grow entirely. Right now, it's very divided. As a wise man in the music community, how could that shift? How do you think that the scene could grow and create more opportunities? Kind of like what you've done and made music your job. Because that's pretty much what all, all these kids want, except for fame and money. I mean, you need a patron, maybe. Like one guy. Yeah, I mean, if there's somebody in the scene who's made it, and has that couldn't kind agree of money, more. Then I don't understand, and I don't understand why this doesn't happen more. Um, why somebody that who who has the ability to um, kind of put down some cash in a, and set up a nonprofit to buy a building in an area that is still developing, you know? And there's all these pockets all over the place. I mean, I I don't know enough about real estate, but it seems to me that there's like tremendous opportunity in Chelsea there's some amazing buildings there and things are not at through the roof yet you know maybe heading out route 99 you know towards Everett it's too out, too far out though too I think. far out it's like you're in the, the perfect space <clears throat> and there was until just a minute ago you know now they're it's at, they're actually building but right at Sullivan Square right at the right across from the bus station and the t-stop those lofts man I've been looking at those for like a decade and a half thinking man I wish I could buy that it was on for sale the lily pad too that'd be sick you know I mean and if you if I could do it if I had deep pockets which I don't but if I did I would buy I would buy buildings around here and like make it so that artists can live in this neighborhood still it's getting too expensive everyone has to leave so I don't know where people are going to go how um but a patron somebody should come up and like set up a fund to make a building and do it right with all the fire safety stuff and have a gathering room that's like throw shows a couple times a month and that you got artists that are coming through and that it's not too mired down with a huge board you know that nonprofit you only need I think three people on the board you get like three smart people who are who are not petty and you just make shit happen and it you don't need a ton of money you just need like some to start, and if you can get a liquor, especially if you can get a beer and wine license, you well, can well, pay well, them more. Well, I'm not suggesting that someone opens up a space similar to this. Oh, well, why not though? I mean, there's 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 room, there's room for more. It's it's like you were saying, there's no place, and it's not that hard to do it. You just need somebody to commit their life to doing that, and I think that's the hard part. People want to 
have a venue and then like go and do other stuff. You can. You got to be there kind of all the time. Well, I think there's a lot of people who want to capitalize on music right now because that's where all the attention is. I mean, you've probably seen over the years people who are around music kind of like it, but it's not their passion, passion. Like a lot of kids now want to be rappers or hip-hop artists just because that's the popular thing to do. That'll bring you a lot of attention. It has to be someone kind of like you who will bleed to create the space for other people. There are not many selfless people like that. You understand that, right? But it's not just for them. It's for, like, those people are the same as me. Like, I made the space for me. Because mm-hmm. I write music, and I didn't want to have to go and play music that other people wanted me to play. I wanted to play what interested me. So I knew that if I want to do that, I have to control the space so that no one can tell me what to do. That was the initial motivation. It wasn't selfless at all. It was totally selfish. But that I'm not any different from you or you or anyone. Like we're all, we all have the same essential motivations. Like we want to do what we want to do. And so I realized that there's a lot of people that are like me and I'm a pianist. There are no good pianos. Nobody, there's no venues with a piano that's in tune if it's used all the time. You know, only the corporate higher end venues and they have somebody come in and tune the piano before a show. And if you're going to play shows there, then you can only play once every few months and you can't play any other shows in the same town. So that's how they make it. So they make sure that they have the right attendance, right? So there was no place to play. So I made a place to play. So for me, right? But there's tons of other people like me. So and then it's not just pianists. It's every, sorry, I keep cutting you off, no, but no, it's no. like, you're right. I was thinking instrumental music, but there's everything happens here. Dance, every, I mean, that literally anything can happen here. What do people have to do to get a show here? Just send an email to bookthelilypad at, at gmail.com. Are you comfortable with telling your rate on camera? If not, it's fine. Yeah, it may go up in the next year a little bit, but depending on the night of the week, I'm trying to think, uh, do the math. Yeah, so it's like $85 an hour and they're in three, three hour slots. Kids, that's nothing. Uh, and that comes furnished with the PA and a sound person and like all of our back line. You know, you can do whatever you want. Not uh, free booze, though. A beer is four fifty. Uh, depends. A, the, a PBR is four bucks, and a lamplighter can is ten bucks. Man, so, you guys are running it steep over here, man. We were cool until you said ten dollar beer. What's good with you? Oh well, they, <laughs> they cost a lot, and they're really good, and they're brewed like right around the right, corner right on the Broadway. Street, yeah. yeah. So we sell a lot of lamplighter. Actually, we I, as soon as uh, I found out about them. I really wanted to have them here, and uh, they've they've been great to us. And also, we have Bantam Cider, which is brewed right around the corner, and we have uh, Harpoon, who was like our first major. Uh, that was when we first started serving to get the liquor license. By the way, for those who are interested in doing this, and also if you do house shows, you can get a one day liquor license. It's not hard to do. You just go to the licensing commission. You say, I want to get a one-day liquor license. And then you have to go to the police and get approved. And then you get a license. And you can literally, with that license, go to Harpoon, buy kegs, and have a show. Or you can go to any other legit uh, distributor. You have to go to a distributor, not a liquor store. But you can go to a distributor or a brewery and get set up and have a show and sell alcohol legally. And like that's the way to do it, and you can basically get one a month. Sounds like a lot of work, man. I I did that for every. Sh- I, a lot of paperwork. I did that for a whole year. 
Well, I'm going to be honest. You came off like it was going to be easy, but then you're like, you got to go there, this, do that. Why is that hard? I don't know, bro. My knee's been hurting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but the, you can, right? I mean, yeah. you think about it. That Where else in the world can you just be like, I want to be a bar for a night? And and it's that easy. You just say, I want to do it. And they'll say, yes. It's not like you got to be somebody there's, there's special. There's a popo right there. What's he doing? You getting some trouble recently? No, he's busting people taking an illegal left turn off of Hampshire, which is great because I'm. That's they're redoing this whole intersection. And you got kids. And I have kids. They're redoing it because they killed a site. Somebody killed a cyclist here uh, with a with a gardening truck, and then I've I've had to jump out of the way of cars crossing crossing Cambridge. Yeah, I guess busy in Inman's sucks. They're fixing it though, and it's gonna be really hard on on all the walk by businesses for like two years it's gonna take two years to complete this project and people are not happy about it but i don't think it's gonna affect us at all because when is gonna start like like most not most but other areas of cambridge this is gonna start booming you think oh yeah cambridge is the spot man yeah you hit the i wonder what's gonna i wonder what it's gonna be like in in like five ten years well this place is gonna be popping yeah we'll still be here Oh yeah, I just wonder with like the if the businesses will still be here, the ones that are. Well, yeah, I wonder if like a business left or right, you might leave, and you could just make it another like a megaplex. No, not interested. I would rather do an, a place somewhere else. Sorry, sorry about the uh, the bing. Um, okay, so on Instagram, we traditionally cut up a clip and we put it just to advertise the episode. Say, hey, go watch a. Come on, man. Stop texting me. Um, we put up a clip to advertise the episode. So, what type of shows would you like to see here? No, do you understand that you're supporting the local hip-hop artists? And again, there. can you just explain the curation process in terms of how people can get shows at the space? Yeah, if you want to put on a show uh you email book the lily pad at gmail.com send links to like any youtube stuff of the artists that are playing no guns yeah and yeah no guns no guns no weaponry you know no threat of violence i know that that may sound bad but that's like i think the main reason why it's hard to have hip-hop shows anywhere um that's just part of image a lot of the time so not everyone's yeah, don't know i mean and and I mean, I don't worry about it here. And I have, we haven't had really any problems. Um, we had one guy get aggro with somebody working here. And Little that fight. doesn't need to happen. I mean, the, 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 the issue is just following the law, you know, following the law, being considerate, being considerate. Holy shit. That is like that. Just got to be considerate. And that, that's it. That's it. That's all you need to do. To, and if you do, show here. if you do those things, be considerate, email you. Well, it's Jesse that you'd be emailing. Email Jesse. Be a good dude. Your right. music doesn't even have to be that good. Right. Don't you, complain. You can, you can throw yourself a show here. Yeah, it's easy. It's very easy. And, and like you do a good job, and then you can do it again. And if like stuff's out of control and we are getting nervous because you know people are being really loud on the street and you know it's, it's really rowdy outside, and, and like inside I'm worried about the... the physical safety of the room itself or people in it that's then there won't be another one and and it's it got to the point where it wasn't going to happen anymore rap was just not hip-hop shows were not going to happen here but 
Jesse convinced me to continue doing it. He's like, I got the guys who do a good job booking and they control the room and it's cool. And we also have Maria bartending who is amazing at having the room be cool and it doesn't get too loud. And, it, and it's like, she just does an, a phenomenal job. And I think that that is a big part of the difference is that she's just here in the room versus maybe somebody else who is bartending and doing sound that might not give off the right vibe and things get a little contentious. And if you guys do it right, I'm just thinking of the numbers in my head, you could honestly make some money throwing your own show. Oh, yeah. You can definitely make money because you control the door. You rent the room, right? You pay the whatever it is, uh, two fifty-five for a Friday or Saturday night. Uh, so then send, sell hours. a $10 ticket. If you sell 26 tickets, you're already in the plus, man. Exactly. And then and you got three hours and not everyone stays for the full three hours. So you figure you can get 100, 150 people through the room if you have a bunch of different acts, right? Because some people come and then they leave. They see who they're going to see. You can make $900, kids. Easy. Easy. And I've seen it. I've seen people walk away when they've charged like $25 and packed the room. People walked away with thousands of dollars for like three hours of of the whole thing from start to finish, set up and tear down. Throw a show here. Yeah. This is opportunity. Definitely. I might throw a show here. You want to throw a show here? Cool. No weed. Not in the room. No weed. (laughs) So you'd be joking. Well, yeah, don't come in here and smoke. No, don't smoke inside. Oh, that was another thing. So somebody lit up a blunt like, in the middle, like in the... Fl- yeah, I, I can see that happening. So that's easily. so bad. It's so bad. Like, I have no problem with They rip them at the Middle East. I don't know. There's like, it's tough, especially when the crowd's big, to like see where the blunt's coming from or like where you're smoking. Yeah, but. just don't do that here because it's such a small room and it's just, it just sucks when people start doing stuff that makes... It, just, it makes me afraid that we're going to get shut down. It's not that I don't want people smoking weed. I don't have an opinion whether people should or shouldn't smoke weed. I think weed is fine. So people should do whatever they want. You smoke? Yeah, I smoke weed. Jack smokes. I, I'm a little too obsessive to smoke myself, but I've become comfortable with the benefits it offers a lot of my friends. So I like weed. Yeah. Yeah, I like it too. But it's, And it's also legal now. It's illegal, so yeah, maybe I might quit now. Um, <laughs> the, the appeal's not there anymore. <laughs> Breaking a lot. Uh, um, but yeah, that's that's it. Just like don't don't blatantly break the rules in a way that's going to get us in trouble. You know. Also, last last thing before we finish up, is this room necessarily acoustic? Like, is it soundproof? This room. I mean, a little bit. <laughs> that's hilarious. I know. I just I I imagine the space itself wasn't built to become something like this, right? No. Yeah, okay. Got it. Hey, man. Well, this was fun. So listen, this is how we start and end these episodes. You say you're... I'm only going to tell you once. Do not blow it. Because then I, we will never speak again. What did what, you say? Do You have to say this. Ready? Hi. Your name. Hi, I'm... And this is my golden hour. Then directly after, no break, you say, Hi, I'm your name and that was my golden hour so this is and then that was got it hi my name is gil this is my golden hour gil from the lily pad hi this is gil that was my golden hour that was like perfectly executed nobody ever gets that right you're a smart guy, man. Thank you. Appreciate you, bro. Hey, 